Welcome, adventurers. If you have not yet listened to episode 21, please do so now. For the rest, Sibo was a thief with quick hands and a quick mouth, but it seems neither was quick enough to save him from his fate. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon He moved in shadow to the edge of the lantern light at the northern end of the passage. The stairs between levels were the biggest obstacles in the escape. They were well lit from above and below, made of noisy metal, and once on the stairs there was nowhere to hide. After some practice, Snare had figured out how to distribute his weight between his feet on the steps and hands on the railings to move near silently up the steps. But he hesitated still. He knew the guard's schedule by heart, and none should be down for at least three more bells. It only takes one thing that you don't. But then, Ford Beer had also said, Plan and be cautious. Always wary, but when the time for action comes, pray to cinder and move your feet. Hesitation kills as often as the sword. He almost felt Ford Beer's hand push him, and he was moving into the light down the center of the chamber. Efficiency and silence were all that mattered now. Reaching the bottom of the stairs, Snare paused only long enough to arrange his feet and hands in the manner he had practiced before moving steadily up the stairs. The technique required slow and methodical movement. It seemed to take bells to ascend the sixty feet to the level above. Fear swelled inside him, but he did not quicken his pace. Panic is what separates the predators from the prey, and at times, living from the dead. Every living thing suffers from fear, boy, but not everyone is controlled by it. The perfect thief lives on the edge of fear at all times. Not enough fear leads to overconfidence, and we both know where that got you. Too much fear leads to panic, carelessness, and discovery. Snare scowled as if the old man was still yakking at him, but he kept his pace steady. Reaching the level above, he stepped off the stairs and onto the stone. He walked silently, without hesitation, to the edge of the lantern light, slinking down into the comfort of the shadows and paused, letting his eyes adjust completely to the darkness. Two occupants were on this level. At least that's what he believed. He hadn't risked detection in his previous scouting missions. The point of no return was now. On to his belly, and then a process even more tedious than the stairs began. He rolled his muscles, starting in his feet, up through his shins and thighs. His stomach lifted a hair's breadth off the ground. A push with his knees, and his body inched forward. Patience, restraint. These are the qualities that elevate a thief. For every job a master thief has completed, there are a hundred that she has left alone or passed by. Patience, indeed, thought Snare. This process was both exhausting and nerve-wracking, but three-quarters of a bell later, he stood 
having passed undetected between the cells on this level. Ten more paces brought him to the edge of the next lantern light and to the next flight of stairs. Move your feet. Snare's feet moved. The room was large and warmed by a fire burning in a grand fireplace on the west wall. The floors were made of wood as well, being three floors up, but other than the stone hearth in front of the fireplace, every inch of the floors were covered in expensive carpets of every imaginable color. Large tapestries hung to either side of the fireplace, depicting detailed scenery. One of a fox hunt, the other of a green dragon descending upon a castle. Exposed timber beams held up the steep roof. Three wrought iron candelabras hung down from these beams, evenly spaced down the center of the room. They were unlit, as soul's light was streaming through five oversized picture windows on the east wall. If Sibo could see out of them, he was sure the view of the Mummer's Fair and the surrounding woods would have been majestic. But he could not see, as he had been shoved to his knees in front of the fat man in green who sat in an overly large chair on a raised dais. It had been roughly eight bells, not that they rung the bells in Mummer's Fair, since last night's unfortunate incident. The large man no longer wore the fox mask, but he did appear to wear the same set of clothes. He had either slept in them, or he had not yet been to sleep. Now that he could be seen, it was revealed that he had short-cropped black hair and was balding. The black eyes he had seen the night before sat below bushy eyebrows and to either side of a prominent nose. The fat man had not yet acknowledged Sibo's presence, but instead ate bacon off a silver platter that sat on a side table, one piece at a time, by hand. He chewed each piece thoroughly and swallowed before moving on to the next, pausing to wipe his hand on a large silk napkin that sat on his knee after each slice. When he had finished the last of the bacon, he wiped his hand one last time and placed the napkin on the platter. A servant that had been standing behind the chair handed the man a large mug made of wood and removed the platter. Taking a large swig from the cup, he let out a sated sigh and then spoke to Sibo without looking at him. I assume the magnitude of your folly has set in at this point. I assume you know who I am. I would say Idridian Everspring. The green lord of the Feywild. But you seem a little short, and a tad too heavy. A boot to the stomach cut Sibo's reply short. Stars sparkled in his eyes as he gasped for air, as a guard behind him pulled him back to his knees by a handful of hair. Let's just assume you know who I am, the baron continued. What you don't seem to know is that I abhor dealing with punitive matters, almost as much as I hate those that would deign to steal from me. Weren't nothing personal. If it's any consolation, I wish I would have stolen from someone else as well. Sibo flinched as the guard stepped toward him again, but the Baron held up a finger, and the guard stopped. I can't say I understand your confidence in this situation. The Baron paused to take another swig and turned to look out the large windows while continuing to speak. Your exploits over the last four days were impressive if a notch ambitious. Several of my own agents recommended I seek you out and offer you a trial period on my payroll. But I can't have someone in my employ 
that doesn't know when enough is enough. Enough is enough? What about that plate of bacon you just... <laughs> this time, no finger was held up to restrain the guard. A meaty fist connected with his face, breaking his nose. Above the ringing in his ears, the Baron's voice seemed quiet. Throw him in the pit for a couple of days. Maybe he can find his courtesy down there. And throw away the carpet. I don't want to look at his bloodstain. Sibo was dumped onto the cell floor with the same care as a sack of flour. The moment he hit the ground, he began drawing himself up to his knees. The iron door squeaked shut behind him. Catching his breath, he held up a hand and stumbled toward the bars. A moment, good sir. He hailed the guard that had already begun to leave. She turned, a glower on her face. Lantern held aloft. She stayed in place, unspeaking. Could you please tell the Baron that these accommodations are no more acceptable than the last? Sibo made the bars, leaning against them, arms dangling outside. The guard still glared in silence. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you too stupid to speak? I mean, I, I can see that you're undead ugly, but I didn't want to assume that that sheep's bladder you call a face was also incapable of speech. As he continued, the guard calmly set the lantern on the floor and started slowly his way. I mean, maybe it's just that you can't hear. If you wish, you could lend me a dagger, and I could do my best to clear your... <laughs> the insult was cut short as the guard's arm flashed out, grabbing him by the neck. Sibo jerked back, pulling the guard right against the cell, but her grasp was strong, and she squeezed hard, hauling him back. She squatted down to look into his eyes. After a moment, she spat, and then, holding his face in place between bars, reared back and punched him in his already busted nose. Sibo went to the ground a second time, spinning to land face down. This time, he did not get back up. The guard chuckled to herself, and then the sound of footfalls as she stood and returned to the lantern, picking it from its resting place. The light diminished, followed by the metallic clank of footfalls on the stairs as the guard ascended to the levels above. Laying face down, Sibo's nose slowly dripped blood onto the cool stone. His face throbbed. Despite the pain, he focused on listening until he could no longer hear the footfalls on the steps. When he was certain of their absence, he rolled onto his back and grinned. He sat up, eyes now adjusted in the grayscale in the complete darkness. Gods, he thought, he must look a mess. He tossed the key ring up into the air and caught it. It was all right. He had been too handsome for his own good before this little trip. You've got fast hands, boy. Sibo jumped to his feet in spite of himself as the voice came from just beyond his vision in the adjoining cell. Quick as a rabbit snare. Who's there? Asked Sibo as he made his way slowly toward the wall between cells. A dry chuckle came in response. Fast as a snare, I say, but sharp as a sponge. Who's there? less tentatively this time. As he reached the bars, Sibo could see just at the edge of his dark vision the form of a figure lying back against the wall. The form was larger than him, wider for sure, but not considerably taller. A dwarf? The dwarf's head turned toward him, but made no other move. You do realize, boy, that there is but one way out of here, a 
top four levels, a single staircase between each level, and three up from here is a room in which I've never seen less than four guards. So what was it you planned on doing with them keys once you opened the door? You turn invisible. A pause passed in silence. No, I don't suppose you could if you're down here with me. The dwarf adjusted his sitting position and looked away from Sibo. I don't envy you the beating you're in for once those keys are discovered missing, which won't be over long. The dwarf adjusted himself further, hunkering into a reclined position, placing his hands behind his head as he stared up into the darkness. No, my rabbit stare. I think we are going to be neighbors for some time. If that mouth of yours doesn't get you killed first... Snare waited in shadow, one level below the guard room. It had taken a full two and a half bells to reach this point. Snare was glad for the rest as he sat on the chamber floor, head on knees, arms wrapped around legs. His muscles had been tired and stiff after slinking his way from floor to floor like an oversized worm. But now he waited for the end game. Almost two years down here in the dark and his opportunity to leave this place was finally at hand. If he stopped to think over long, the overwhelming pressure of needing everything to go just right, his heart rate began to race. But he drew in a deep breath, letting Fordbeer's voice fill his mind once again. I know you are feeling sorry for yourself, but that is what the Baron wants. Think on it. If he wanted us dead, we would have been long ago. What he wants is to break our spirits, or let us rot in our defiance. There are many who are cruel and murderous, but there are few who also possess the traits of patience and cunning as well. You see, the Baron fancies himself a fox. Quick, cunning, always a step ahead. Snare's ears perked up as he heard voices at the top of the stairs. Fordbeer's voice continued. Once he is confident that he has broken us, it is not death for us, but release into the world. We become a banner for his cruelty, a warning for any who might see us. Do not cross the fox, or he will ruin you, body and soul. Every living thing has a sense that it will die one day, and even though we fear it, all know it is their eventual end. The voices grew louder, and then... The sound of a booted foot striking the top step. What the greater horror is, is living a life in which someone has broken your body, broken your belief in your sovereignty over your own soul. In death there is the possibility of rest, but living with the shadow of another always on your soul, that is a living hell. That is what the fox desires. By crafting an image of his ultimate cruelty, there are few, very few, who would challenge him. And so he remains lord of his own making, bought with the spirits of those he has broken. If we give in, if we give him our ever-shadowed soul, then we give him the authority he seeks to maintain. Snare could see, just from his peripheral vision, the guard reached the ground floor. The dwarf's words persisted, even as he readied himself. 
Ford Beer had paused his dialogue and dragged himself from the shadows for the first time in the two months of the gnome's captivity. Sibo lay sweating with fever on the floor. His mouth throbbed, and a small amount of bloody drool trickled down his cheek. As Ford Beer reached the bars between cells, he stuck one arm through. The arm ended in a stump, an ugly scar puckered at the wrist. He stuck his second arm through. There was a hand, but it only contained a thumb and a middle finger. As Sibo stared, Ford Beer continued. He has broken our bodies, yours and mine, but let us not give him our souls. Listen, my rabbit snare, I told you when we met that you were quick, but you must see now that a rabbit is also quick. It relies upon its speed and agility, but as fast as the rabbit may be, it still falls to the well-placed trap. You are not the snare, my friend, but the rabbit. You place too much confidence in your speed. And here we now sit. But I can teach you much. A snare is also quick. But the secret of a snare is patience. What is time to a snare? It will wait long for the opportunity to strike. Time to stop being the rabbit boy and learn how to become the snare. For a well-disguised snare can also catch the most cunning of foxes. The guards were lazy. None had ever escaped the baron's prison, so there was no reason for them to expect it. The sound of footfalls left the steps and landed on the stone floor. Snare could feel the lantern light on him, even as the guard came down the passage. Snare knew the guards by sight, but not name. He thought of this one as Thin Man, which he was. He wore a dirty jerkin, had arms covered in tattoos, and a patch on one eye. Thin Man did not so much as turn his head, even as he walked directly by Snare's motionless form. Snare held his breath and visualized that he was part of the rock. He felt foolish doing so, but Fordbeer insisted it was an effective technique. When Thin Man had passed, Snare uncoiled silently like a snake, standing to his feet and falling in step with the guard. He matched Thin Man's pace masking any possibility that his footfalls would be detected. Thin Man would turn in two steps to deposit the evening's watery gruel to a prisoner in a cell to the left. Now was the time. He picked up his pace. Snare's hands worked quick as ever. Thin Man wore a dagger tucked into the back of his belt, presumably so no prisoners would try to grab it as he faced them in their cells. It was a prisoner that did him in nonetheless. Snare unsheathed the dagger even as they both took the last step. Then man turned to face the prisoner that was to be fed. The prisoner's eyes widened in shock, seeing Snare standing in the guard's shadow. Then man frowned and turned to look at the source of the prisoner's fear. Snare drove the dagger up under Thin Man's jaw, who struggled feebly and then collapsed. The eyes of the prisoner widened further and scuttled back, unsure of what would come next. Snare stepped toward him, baring his teeth and brandishing the bloody dagger. The prisoner screamed. A plan for escape has begun. But will Snare win his way free? Stay tuned next week for the conclusion of The Fox and the Rabbit. <laughs>